Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Sarah Bariza. And I'm Bill Smoots. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting out the BS and embracing the good. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years. We're still going. I have been a church musician for 20 years now, and I've worked mostly in mainline denominations, although I've worked pretty broadly across the denominational spectrum. And we're still going strong. We should say I, that. I, I, I mean, mean, look at look at this bicep. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yoga, here we come. You know, you, you never understand the workout, uh, upper body workout that an organist gets until you watch it. So anyway, and, and I have served um, mostly Presbyterian churches uh, as associate pastor and a lot of years as a head of staff. In, in more recent times, I have been serving as an intentional interim transitional pastor uh, in UCC congregations. And today we're talking about hospitality, but first we have a big announcement. This is our last episode of Called. But before you cry. We're coming back in January and we are rebranding as Getting to Nimble. So we'll talk more about that in January. But if you see a, um, a change in your newsfeed and the, the name changes from Called to Getting to Nimble, you'll know what's up. And remember, nimbleness is our friend. Yes, yes, that, that's that's part of the point here. <laughs> a lot of Holy Spirit going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. The, the possibilities, and, and, and I like that part of our realization is that if this is going to be useful for us and hopefully useful for others, that we've got to be evolving and adapting mm -hmm. along mm -hmm. the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other little announcement is that this is our only episode for December. We, like you guys, are going to be really busy towards the end of December. I don't know. What is that? What's that holiday again? I, I, I think it's uh, the winter solstice. <laughs> yeah, that's when we celebrate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so we're only doing one episode in December, but we will be back in January. Yeah. Now we could just do one where we sang Christmas carols for everybody, but I'm guessing that would probably kill our, yeah. our audience. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a Christmas carol service here at Okay. okay. First congregation okay. Yes. Work. <laughs> yes. Christmas is a fun and uh, holy but intense season. It is. It is. And I, I'm looking forward to the 12 days of Christmas this year. I've planned minimal things in Advent and um, lots of things in the 12 days of Christmas. Good. It'll be great. I want to hear the drummers drumming at your house. I, You know, I, I've got a small child. This, this, this <laughs> like I said, I want to hear the drummers drumming. <laughs> So we're talking about hospitality today, and we felt like this is a prime time of year to talk about hospitality because a lot of us in December are hosting open houses for people in the church, or we're um, going to other places um, for parties and things. And we want to talk about like the whys of hospitality, how to do hospitality in a healthy way, and also want to reflect a little bit about cultural changes that uh, that we've seen over the years, especially that Bill has seen over the years, and think about how we can have hospitality in a in a sustainable way in our churches, knowing that it's not always easy. Over the years, meaning I'm old. Yes. Um, let's let's talk about the changes first, and and then get into the specifics. Yeah, because you you've seen. I, I I think I should say like we've been talking about coffee hour, and I grew up in a church that didn't have coffee hour. So I was asking asking Bill. I was like, you know, is coffee hour a recent thing, or did I just miss it growing up? And it seems like I just. You, you missed it growing up. But hey, y'all, we had second Sunday fellowships, and the, the banana pudding was, was there, and the fried chicken, so you know, I oh, wasn't missing out oh, that much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Um, one of the things that, that I have seen change a lot in life, and particularly as a professional uh, religious person, has been the, the lessening 
of, of church hospitality events. Um, there used to be more congregational-wide meals or, or picnics. There used to be opportunities for small groups within the church, and this was long before the small group movement, to get together and share some fellowship time or share some meal time. Sometimes they were programmatic groups, sometimes they were geographical groups, and, and I've watched that fall away over the last 30 years. And a lot of that has to do with the busyness of people's lives and with the reality that, that in the 1970s and 80s, uh, women went to work outside the home in large numbers. And churches never got over that loss of, of that particular volunteer pool, particularly around social events. And, and so these changes have occurred. And, and one of the things that, that Sarah and I have observed and talk about on a regular basis is that committee meeting times or other formal meeting times uh, have, have almost become a social replacement for, for mm -hmm. those other gatherings. Because we're not seeing each other at yeah. other points in time. And, and so when we get together, we need to talk. We need to socialize. Yeah. I get that. How are your kids doing? It, it just unfortunately has a, a negative effect on a meeting happening in a timely way or the, the business uh, mm -hmm. that a particular meeting needs to accomplish getting done. And on the other, like the flip side of that is, is that people who are in these committee meetings may not be very socially connected with each other, which in my experience can lead to a lot of rancor, <laughs> can make people really grumpy with each other because they don't really get where this other committee member is coming from. And in case any people that I know are listening to this, this is across all the churches where I've worked. This is not any one particular church. This is just, you know, if people don't know each other and then someone says something, you know, that comes across in a funny way, you know, people will jump to a negative conclusion rather than being like, oh, that's my buddy. Yeah. You know, they didn't really yeah. mean it that way because that's, you know, I know I know them. They they meant something good by that. And, and I guess we should probably... As we're getting into this conversation, we ought to state one of our basic premises is that we believe uh, that, that socialization for church members getting together and, mm -hmm. and, and outside of a, a worship room or, or outside of a church meeting, that that's good for the body of the church. That builds up the, the fellowship of the congregation. This is, this is the big why here is that it's important for people to be in community with each other and food hospitality, this is the big way of making that happen. I mean, the, the ultimate way we could say is like through the Eucharist <laughs> at, at the communion table, that is the ultimate community. And then how does that affect our lives? Hopefully in a bigger sense, that means that we as a church community are hus hospitable to each other. And then like we as church leaders are modeling that kind of hospitality and making those opportunities, making opportunities for people to be in relationship with each other. And and we know from as early in the life of the church as the book of Acts or, or certainly uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians that, that that social time was important and valued, uh, that churches struggled with it from the get-go and, mm -hmm. and still do. But there are, our belief is that this social time is valuable in the life of a congregation. But at the same time, if the why is a social cohesion and relationships amongst the church, I don't think Bill or I are thinking, I don't think either of us are thinking that this is about our personal relationships or friendships with people. Like, oh, no. That's not what this is no, for. No, this is this is this is congregational building. This is this is community building, and we take it on from that perspective. It it, it can't be about uh, the the church professional uh, and and their personal life life and and friendships. I I 
we could we could spend hours, days, episodes talking about the wisdom of uh, religious professionals having social relationships with the members of a congregation, friendships, what that looks like, where where the where the good points of that are, where the bad points of that are. But this is not this is not about that. This is about how does some kind of socialization build up the life of the community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Another factor here is that opportunities for hospitality socialization kind of have to just be scheduled because we live in an age that is overscheduled. I think we probably have all experienced that like, oh, I want to get together with three other families and um, well, that can happen in about a year because <laughs> our schedules are so densely packed. So at a certain point, you just have to say this is what the date is and people who can come can come and people who can't come can't come. Bill and I are going to share a couple different ways that we in our different churches have practiced hospitality and what that has meant for building relationships within those communities. Over the years, depending on the, the type of position I've been in, uh, the hospitality I've tried to provide or, or uh, my family has tried to provide, it's never just a, a me thing, uh, has, has adapted a little bit. When I was a, an associate pastor and primarily working with programs of particular congregations, if we did any kind of gathering, it was related to those programs. I remember there was a, a church where I was working with both the young adult group and with the retiree group. And my wife and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have a gathering with those two groups because they don't Ooh, know each other like and get to talk to each other. And so we set a two-hour time window, um, one to three on a Saturday afternoon. This was, I think it was December. It was an Advent theme party. And uh, it was just hilarious how it, it, it fell out. At 12.50... Uh, the the cars of the retirees were lining up on our street around our house, and people were sitting in their cars until 12.59, so that as they walked up to the door, it was exactly 1 p.m. I love these people. And, and, um, and there were no young adults. Uh, there, there, there were no young adults to be seen. And they were still asleep. They hadn't even woken up yet. About 2.30 uh, in the afternoon as the retirees were saying, oh, you know, we need to get going. Uh, we've, got, we've got other things we've got to get to. A few young adults started showing up. And so, so this big overlap of these different age groups and all these great conversations we envisioned actually lasted for about 15 minutes. <laughs> But then the young adults continued to show up until about five. What? <laughs> and, and, and we finally had to say to them, hey, we've got young children and we need to feed them and get them in bed. And, and so we need to end this. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. We, okay, we could have stayed longer. <laughs> So, so that was our experiment. But we tried to do things with with groups. As 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 a few years later, when I became the the head of staff, and and it was a congregation of about four hundred, we decided, oh, let's invite the whole congregation to a series of open houses mm, in nice. the month of December. And and uh, so we tried, I think, two the first year, and maybe three the next year. Uh, some years we tried to do this alphabetically. Other years we just Did one strategy whoever, work better than the other. We we did didn't find that the the people that were going to show up were the people that were going to show up and and uh, so so we ended up I think coming to the fact that maybe two times maybe three times was was the ideal whatever we felt we could handle in our schedule and they were just open houses for a couple of hours. There was food. Um, we did not serve alcohol. We served more mold cider and uh, those kinds, soda for the kids, those kinds of things. 
that that I, I kind of want to peek in here about alcohol. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you are in a space where you're kind of on the fence of should you or shouldn't you, an open house in the afternoon can be a great way of just like avoiding the question entirely. It can, it can, and some and to some extent, I think it depends on your denomination too. In mm -hmm. in my Presbyterian world, um, while while the joke is that where there's four Presbyterians, there's a fifth. Dink dink. Uh, to to offer alcohol for the pastor to offer alcohol in a social gathering might not. be be received well by mm. particular congregations. Um, as I've served UCC congregations, alcohol seems to be, the answer seems to be yes. Um, and, and so it's, but I'm sure there's even differences within the larger UCC world. And so to some extent, you have to pay attention to context. And, and I think that you also have to think about your own self and what feels wise for you. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. And 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 sadly, what liability do you want to take on? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. somebody has a car wreck going home from the pastor's house where they were plowing through the wine punch. Hmm, that might cause more issues than than you care to deal with. On a related note, since we are talking about alcohol right now, I think that a really good strategy here is to always think in terms of offering something that is just as nice and as um, as an alcoholic option. So if you are offering an alcoholic beverage, make sure that you have something that is lovely and great and equally desirable, right? So so, so, so you're, you're having open houses. So we're having open houses over the month of December and and they were they were helpful, I think, for building up the life of that particular congregation. Mm -hmm. uh, what we heard often was, gosh, I've been a member of this church for 30 years, 40 years, 20 years, whatever it was, I've never been in the pastor's house. Mm, and, yeah, and that yeah. seemed to mean a great deal to people and and often you know it didn't turn into immediate social invitations and we weren't looking for that but I think it was easier than for when when we were invited to uh, something at somebody's house the whole family went and and along with others from the church and that felt okay I think that this for me falls into a category of vulnerability that is a really healthy kind of vulnerability because you are showing something personal about yourself by welcoming people into your home but at the same time like it's your living room it's your kitchen it's not really that personal it, it's it's kind of like a, a another space where like it's safe for you to welcome people in but it also feels like a different level of vulnerability than just showing up in a you know a restaurant or something and that can be in some settings a really healthy kind of thing it, it can be and and there is some vulnerability I I, mm -hmm. I mean you know the reality is as a pastor in the churches I've served we've tended to be on the lower end of the economic spectrum and and I felt sometimes that that people were judging our our house or our possessions um, if people are judging my house it's because I don't dust my baseboards <laughs> and, and and it was like I it just that's their issue I I yeah. wasn't going yeah, to is. to to be I wasn't going to get caught up in that but there there is that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and, it, and if you're uncomfortable with that vulnerability, then stay away from these things, mm -hmm. would be yeah. my two cents. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, I've, we're again talking more uh, an Adventist type open house, though I think a lot of this fits for any social gatherings. Mm -hmm. I've also served congregations where home for most of the members of the church was elsewhere. And, and there was also the added layer of it being an academic community so that when the semester was done and, 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 and the children's schooling was out, the community scattered. And, and so having an open house in those situations was not, was not helpful. In larger congregations where I've served, 
the open house has been the 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 invite list has really been the leadership team and and the staff team mm-hmm. uh, and especially and, in a, if you're in a really big congregation yeah because I I wanted to do something but I knew we couldn't invite all 1,300 members that was just way more than we could even imagine so we had to to make that smaller um, and and I will also fess up that when I had leadership and and staff. There were there was at this one particular congregation a handful six ten leaders uh, financial leaders in the church uh, without whose financial support that church was not going to survive um, in in their uh, in their world where they supported not for profits that weren't churches they were wined and dined and included in all sorts of things and and I thought it was important to uh, invite these people into this leadership hospitality gathering um, and and would do so again, but that's something that always needs to be thought through intentionally and carefully. Um, the, the worst thing you can do is invite some and not others in a particular group or or be seen as a, um, your invitation is exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that just defeats the purpose of using social gatherings in a staff member's home uh, to, to lift up the body of the congregation. Yeah, this really goes back to like, this is for lifting up the body of the congregation. This isn't about your personal friendships with people or anything Correct. like that. Correct. Correct. And and then as an interim, I've been very intentional not to do social gatherings. Yeah. So what's what's the reasoning there? And 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 for me, it's because I don't want to do anything that might set the next settled pastor up for for criticism or for perceived failure. Well, the interim had us over for a social gathering. Why aren't you? Mm, I, yeah, I, yeah. I always have to be careful in in interim transitional work that I'm I'm not setting precedents that a new pastor must come in and follow. They need to be able to come in and lead for who they are and as they are, not trying to to be in competition with an interim who is long gone. So before we talk about my approaches to hospitality, I think the perfect segue here is Bill and I both have spouses who participate in our hospitable endeavors. Um, You know, me having a bunch of people over isn't me doing all the work. And I think that this relates to, you know, if you're an interim pastor, you don't know who the next person is. You don't know if they're going to be in a space, you know, you have no idea. If they're going to be in a relational space to to have mm-hmm. support, yeah, for that kind yeah, of thing. or or you know what what kind of physical ability they have, like you know financial resources, like these, there's a, there's so much that goes into you know say having an open house. Like I'm definitely not at the place where I would have three open houses in December. I'm like nope, 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 nope. Uh. <laughs> well, and and you know besides just a spouse, in our case, our our children were old enough that oh, that yeah. they were conscripted yeah. uh-huh. and and they helped prepare, they helped uh, carry Meanwhile, out. Meanwhile, if you event. see any like you know icing out of the cake that that was my child getting to it too early (laughs) (laughs) they they helped clean even though they didn't like that uh but but without the support of my family i couldn't have taken those kind of things on oh yeah it just that's just that that goes to the whole interim role you have no idea what the the next the next pastor's ability can be yeah so on my end, um, I, so again, I work as a church musician, so I interact with a kind of a, a subset of the church. You know, I'm, I'm working with the whole range of the congregation on a Sunday morning, but my groups that I tend to work more with would be on a committee level and then on a musical group level. So like for me right now, I've got like handbells and I've got the adult choir and I've got a children's choir. So I'm I'm working with people in this subset of the congregation, which makes it much easier to say I'm going to invite people over because I'm inviting a particular group. It would be like 
a, you know, a senior pastor inviting like a council members and their their spouses, that kind of thing. So I, I uh, this past year, I had a, a potluck because potlucks are much easier for dinner than, a, you know, feeding 30 people at your house. So I've done those kinds of things. I've also had really good success with um, dinner party settings where the group was a manageable amount. So for instance, a committee that, that could work really well. Again, going back to the social cohesion thing and those those people who don't really know each other outside of the committee, man, a dinner party can just be a great way for them to just talk with each other in a space that doesn't require them to like, you know, argue over the finer point of how we want to decorate the altar, you know, you know, those kind of tedious things that committees get hung up on. A, a dinner party can just be a great social space for people to to, to open up with each other and just actually have some friendly conversation. Those 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 two people sitting over on the couch by themselves, deeply engaged in conversation, who, who haven't known each other, it's just wonderful mm-hmm. what can come out mm-hmm. of that social time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also, like, I have sometimes been strategic in inviting, say, the choir over, but inviting them over for a meal when I know that it's a, a low attendance Sunday, because just because, you know, I, my house is not big and you know, it's it's hard for me to have like twenty people over, but um, I've I've sometimes I think one at one church where I invited people on Christmas Day, and you know I had like six people and we were all childless and weren't traveling for the holidays, and so we had like you know after the Sunday morning service or the the Christmas morning service, you know, yay, we're gonna have tacos and ice cream. It was it was great. You know, there's nothing that says Christmas like a taco. Yeah, it was this this was this was the year we had blizzards. Um, <laughs> you know, that year it was one of those years a we had blizzard blizzards. taco. Yeah, but it was like 75 degrees. Um, so we're oh. like, yeah, we'll have time. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, I, I was really strategic in thinking, I can't invite my whole choir over for a Sunday afternoon meal. But I can, it, it was pretty easy for me to say, oh, I have a small group here for Christmas Day, because there's not many people on a Christmas Day, and I'll invite them over. And if they want to come over, they can. Like, so, so for me, it was like a way to practice hospitality in a way that was manageable for me. That makes a lot of sense. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And and uh, again, we don't want to put the expectation of hospitality on anybody, but if you're thinking about it, um, there's a whole range of issues, possibilities, mm-hmm. potentials that, that you ought to think through. And if you're doing this with a partner or a spouse or, or other family, include them in thinking. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't just assume for them. For me, this kind of gets to the idea of outsourced hospitality. And for me, that kind of comes under the umbrella of like, oh, if you're going to have a meal, a potluck is a really nice way to make it so that you can actually do this. Because at the end of the day, like for me, I want to practice hospitality, but sometimes the amount of work is just too much for me to do it. So having a potluck, oh yeah, I can actually do this. And um, sometimes for me, that has also been having people, for instance, in the choir come to me and say, oh, can I host a party for the choir? And then I say, yes, let me help you facilitate that. I would love that. Because, you know, I again, I can't have a, a Christmas party. I I work too much in December and my husband works way too much in December. But for me to say to, you know, someone in the choir, yes, I would love for this to happen. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be necessarily the ones to take the charge on this, but they're coming to me privately. Oh, can, can I do this? And then I say yes. And and I wouldn't say I, I would say it's not out of the bounds to think about you know going to somebody uh, on, mm-hmm. in the choir and mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, could you yes. host a party, yeah. party?" Or going to somebody on leadership and saying, "I think it would be really good if the session or the council or the board could get together in a social setting. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be willing to host us if we all you know, brought a dish or, or yeah. something like yeah. that?" Yeah. That 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 mm-hmm. kind of encouragement, I think, is is an important part of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. And it's it's some it's a way to give permission to people who might be kind of shy or or might just not think about it. You know, it might not not have been on their radar to do that kind of thing, but but you can help facilitate that and um you know, be a pastoral leader in that way. We'd also be curious to hear if you have done social things uh, in, in the churches you, you have served or are serving, what have those been? What has worked? What, what perhaps didn't work? Um, what, what, what is the collective wisdom out there of, is this good? Is it bad? Uh, how, how can it be most helpful? Um, we realize that each congregational situation is different and you have to pay mm-hmm. attention yeah. to those realities um, but but maybe there are some things that you've learned that could benefit the rest of us so please don't hesitate to send us an email or to invite us to to, to invite a dinner us party to, at your house <laughs> <laughs> hey i'll go eat anywhere but but to invite us to to think some more about this in the future mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure um just to note our email is called podcast at gmail.com and our website is called podcast.com so you can get in touch in one of those ways. So let's talk about our reads of the week, although we have a read and then a something else. Um, I'll start out with the read. Um, I recently read She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy, and it is fantastic. I couldn't believe it was like reading a murder mystery novel, except I knew the outcome. It's uh, the story of um, Harvey Weinstein's downfall and um, the two New York Times reporters, Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times reporters, who were instrumental in making this happen. I think for, I mean, beyond just being a really, really interesting read, it's, you know, in terms of literary quality and structure and those kinds of things, it's interesting for us on the church end because we work in spaces where there's a lot of power, and especially in bigger churches, a lot of power vested in a small group of people. And, you know, hopefully all of us would have, you know, the moral fiber to not um, turn a blind eye to other people's crimes. But I think that for those of us thinking about structures and systems, this kind of book is really important to read because it can help us see how those structures and systems can um, keep in place someone who is a, a harmful person. And, and while I've not read that book, I've seen the authors interviewed several mm, times yeah, on, yeah. on different different television programs. And it's disturbing the the kinds of behaviors that were ignored or or just looked away from uh, that, that have been so harmful to people. And, and I, I really agree with what you're saying that in our uh, organizations, we have to work hard to make sure people are safe and that mm-hmm. we do our work and ministry and service in safe places. Well, that is a little darker. I know, okay. right? Bill, Bill wanted to go first. I was like, no, 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 you have, you have to lead us out on a bright note. <laughs> so, so let me offer a slightly different note. It isn't a read of the week, but knowing that this episode will drop in early December and that this is our last Ooh, episode for yeah. the year, I want to talk about care for the religious professional as they head deeper into Advent and, and Christmas and, and all that awaits in the, the chaos and joy and wonder uh, of this important season. And and uh, lively time in the life of the church. I have learned over the years that I need to find at least one moment 
in all the busyness that that I reserve just for me, just and and just to feed me spiritually, because I'm 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 giving a lot out. Um, my my job and the job of those mm-hmm. I work with yeah, is to giving. make those Advent worship services and particularly those Christmas Eve worship services deeply meaningful for those who come to participate in them. Yeah. But but you yeah. can't do a both and has been my experience over mm-hmm. thirty years that if I'm going to make a meaningful service for those coming, I'm still got to be up there leading that service, and mm-hmm. that means it can't be the same level of meaning for me. So what I've tried to do is find a moment in the midst of it all uh, that there can be some meaning. I choose to work hard on Christmas Eve morning to listen to the BBC broadcast of the Lessons and Carol service from King's College, Cambridge. PBS carries it in the States, and it's about an hour and a half, and I sit in a room, hopefully quietly, and listen to the radio and just soak it in. That that helps me have a Christmas. And, and what I want to encourage you all to do is if you don't have something like that, figure out what that might be for you and start practicing it. Don't let this season just be a continual giving out. Make sure that you're you're charging your batteries, even even if it's just one little thing. This makes me think I need to think what that moment is for me, but also I'm planning on sleeping in on the 24th because my child is having a slumber party at Grandma's house. Woohoo! Because that was really strategic. <laughs> I've been planning this since December of 20, 24th of last year. <laughs> so so you're saying I shouldn't call or email on the 24th at 8 a.m. with questions about the services no, that night? No, no, don't talk okay, to me. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's good I to mean, know. I'm probably going to wake up at 6 a.m. anyway. I'm glad we've cleared that up now. <laughs> So that's it for this week's installment of Call. This is our last episode of the year, and when you get a new episode in January, it will be under the new title, Getting to Nimble. And you can find show notes at calledpodcast.com. So if you're enjoying this show, please share it with your friends and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm thinking especially if you are in a generous spirit, it's Christmas time, give us the gift of a podcast review. We would really appreciate it. I'm Bill Smoots. I wish you the, the blessings of this season and hope that you find some space for yourself in the midst of it. And we'll look forward to connecting with you in the new year mm-hmm. as we work on nimbleness. Woo! I'm Sarah Bariza, and until next time, cut out the BS and embrace the good in this holiday season.